This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The day before the 2018 midterm elections in the United States, Vox.com ran an article about whether the prospect of young people would turn out in elections after all. They actually led with a headline saying, it appears young people and millennials are actually voting in the 2018 midterm elections, and continued to say that youth turnout has surpassed 2014 midterm numbers at several colleges across the country, noting the importance that young people are often less likely to turn out in midterm elections than they are in presidential elections, and young people in general tend to just not turn out at all. The skepticism ripe in the Vox article is not contained to just one media outlet alone. Oftentimes, commentators, political observers, and even skeptics or self-proclaimed experts in millennial culture will go out of their way to describe the habits of how young people and modern generations engage or don't engage in a wide variety of habits, whether it's their tone and approach that millennials are most likely to take in the workplace, or their ability or interest in even engaging in the electorate. A lot of that assessment and assumption has cast a very wide net across what young people are poised to do and not do. But for many, and for this moment in our generation, that skepticism, that doubt, and those assumptions are starting to be turned on their head right here at home and across the world. Take the challenges of poverty facing Africa, for example. In Burundi, it is known as a common maxim and tribal ethos that knowledge is power. And two young siblings are actually been known to travel staff across the country, spreading what they called idea boxes, basically libraries containing ebooks and paperbacks to create ready mobile devices and ready mobile libraries to make sure that people in villages across the country can actually start to read more. That effort led by a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old. When it comes to hunger, two sibling farmers are actually working in Namibia to introduce a new drip irrigation system to make sure that they can create even more jobs in Namibia through environmentally friendly farming. When it comes to genital mutilation and awareness about the respect for women's bodies, in Egypt, a group of young activists, no older than 16, have been traveling village to village determined to end the gruesome prospect and practice of genital mutilation against young women. Right here at home in the United States, 2018 saw a roar of tragic gun violence, but it also saw a huge number of community organizers, no greater than the age of high school students and high school seniors, that challenged their lawmakers in the state of Florida, as well as the NRA and Congress, to get their act together when it came to engaging and regulating gun violence in this country. Time and time again, we see article after article about what young people will and will not do, what millennials will and will not do, and how each of us will act along the way. But as we see global movements take shape, challenging convections and challenges day to day, all of those movements seem to be increasingly led by young people. 
Joining us today on the podcast is Ben Brown, the founder and head of the Association of Young Americans, a nonpartisan membership-based organization two decades in the making that actively works to insert the voices of about 80 million Americans ages 18 to 35 into everyday politics. So in an era in which people often criticize and assume that young people either don't exercise their voice or don't feel that they have an an adequate voice, AYA is here to change that. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. Ben, thank you so much for joining American Enough. Thank you so much, Vikram. So I kind of wanted to start with this this notion of voting, which is just a, a prospect that is uh, close to home here uh, for, in the United States, but also um, quite relevant given that you know just a few months back we had a major election um, that many kind of characterize as being a commentary on our current president, as well as some of the policy challenges that we face. Uh, you know, there was a lot of debate around whether young people would turn out to vote in this election of all elections, um, and and any time that that was characterized. Sure, it was sort of contextualized with some assumptions about what we've done or not done in the past. Um, but it was also contextualized with a a sort of an understanding that this might be one of the most historic elections of all time, given sort of the divisive nature of politics in this country. What was actually motivating young people to turn out to the polls uh, in 2018? Is it something about this generation of young people and a new crop of, of ideologies that they may have? Or is it more a commentary of the political times that we're experiencing? I think, first of all, um, you can't really separate the two in, within the political framework. Um, if you take a step back and look at kind of larger cultural dynamics um, across the board, whether it's in politics um, or industry, uh, young people are taking things into their own hands. Um, but, but more than that, I, I, I think it's a, a few things why that is beginning to happen. Um, firstly, about 10 years ago, young people saw exactly what happens when you blindly trust institutions. Many young people are still struggling to recover from that, um, uh, from that trust in 2007, 2008. Um, and I also think that young people understand their power, both politically and commercially. Um, it's often kind of, uh, joked that young people, uh, uh, don't get involved in politics because they, you know, it's a long game and they don't understand the, um, uh, they don't understand the, you know, kind of how to, how to wield that power. Um, but we've also seen uh, that young people have grown up in a time when disruption is idolized and celebrated. And, and that idea you know, for example, is, is the foundation of the explosion of startup culture, Silicon Valley, um, and some of the most valuable companies in the world. And that, I think, is a really important cultural phenomenon that that we need to consider. Um, and of course, you know, it's it's the democratization of information. You know, it's a generation that doesn't know any other world um, besides the internet age. Um, 
and even beyond that, it's a it's a generation that doesn't know a world without all of that information in their pockets. Um, you know, every anything I ever want to know is a button away, and and I can talk to and organize hundreds of thousands of strangers with another tap of a finger. Um, so at, at this moment in time, culturally um, and technologically, the tools for creating the change we want are in our hands. They're you know they're literally in our hands and. I'd also add that engagement, uh, I think, has been clear that it's, it's not just for some people, it's for everyone. Um, and quite frankly, I think the issues facing young people today have become so acute in their effect from climate change and student debt, political inequality, criminal justice system, to name a few that, you know, sibling idly by just isn't an option anymore. Hmm. And and you mentioned that there's this um, explosion of of entrepreneurship happening, certainly uh, motivated by technology as well as young people's sort of adeptness um, and astuteness when it comes to commanding that technology and building new products. Um, but but even it be a little bit beyond Silicon Valley, which which I do want to come back to. Um, within the last uh, couple of years, um, we have seen a record number of of young people run for office. Um, we have seen a record number of of new leaders even crop up in the yeah. bus- in the business community, where you know board seats as well as board rooms and and sort of C suite seats are being occupied with sort of this changing of the guard, um, younger executive within companies. Um, and of course, as you mentioned at the top, uh, one of the more interesting storylines. Um, of the last two years in both you know seventeen and eighteen was sort of the the unabashed way that a lot of high school students out of Florida uh, on the heels of the tragic parkland shooting um, we're were the face of sort of that quote unquote next generation of leaders that was going to take yeah. on establishment politics there's all these shifts happening. How does an organization like yours, the Association of Young Americans, um, make sure that the voice uh, of the voiceless or the voice of the youth are part of each of those conversations? Because, And I ask this because in each of those examples, one could say, yes, well, there might be a hyper-motivated or an ambitious person who wants to be in that boardroom, or there might be a very, very bright and, and sort of unique one-off technologist who's able to create this new Silicon Valley company. Um, but in general, there still seems to be this commentary that young people don't necessarily mobilize in that direction, and that those examples, while they are crown jewels of the American youth, maybe they are one-offs. But AYA has a different yeah. take on on that can you can you walk us through how you take that approach yeah so you know in, in, in the case of kind of larger national movements like uh, like March for our lives led by um, uh, several of the survivors of the, the Parkland shooting you know that that movement you know is theirs that they have created that in an amazing and brave and inspiring way and so in, in that conversation, Association of Young Americans' role is really uh, to support them and to uh, connect our community with their resources. But if you take a, a, a bit more of a step back, um, you know, and I'll also add that, you know, the work that they also did in registering voters, I, I think, actually moved the needle in several races, um, which is extremely important. Um in getting young people engaged in, uh, in electoral politics. But if you take a step back and you, you know, you look at how young people have been involved in politics over the last 
20 or 30 years, you know, young people can only use the tools that are available to them or that they can create. And for the first time, I believe that young people have all of the tools we need to create the future we want. And I, I think of political power as a process with discrete steps. And for political power, I think you need four parts. You need people to vote, right? So in the 90s, Rock the Vote became the first voter registration organization focused exclusively on young people. You know, now campaigns and next gen, uh, next generation Tom Steyer's um, uh, Tom Steyer's organization spent tens of millions of dollars focusing on getting young people to register to vote and turn out on election day. That's one. We also need people who are educated on the issues. Um, yeah, that's a big part of what uh, of what March for Our Lives does. They educate people on on the issue of of gun safety. And so in the 90s and early 2000s, we saw the rise of a new family of media focused exclusively on curating news for young people, right? And that's continued through this uh, through this day, you know, from Vice and Mike to um, you know the attentions of the world and you know the Skim newsletter. Um, young people are getting news curated for them and uh, news that is uh, kind of uh, through the lens, through, through their own lens. Um, third, you need people who look like you to be in office, who have shared experiences, who see issues and opportunities on the same time horizon. And this is um, uh, one of the places where uh, uh, the parties have not done an amazing job. And so independent organizations like Run for Something have stepped, have stepped up. Um, and we saw this fall, you know, their success. Um, and lastly, uh, you need to be at the table every single day. Most people and companies hire lobbyists for that. Um, and for so long, everyone has had a lobbyist. You know, someone I, I uh, did a little work with was joking that even the trees in Wales had lobbyists. But young, pe but young people haven't. And you know, tens of millions of dollars went into voter turnout for young people this past uh, midterm cycle, which is extremely important and should. You know, it's the first one that I mentioned. But come election day, those organizations close shop and start thinking about what happens in two years. And you would never, uh, I think, of elected officials as our employees. Um, and you would never hire someone and then not speak to them for two years. And so Association of Young Americans is working on behalf of young people to keep those we voted for focused on what we want, not what other special interest groups want. You know, we always say that politicians may change on election day, but policies change on all the days in between. And to be successful, young people have to be present in everyday politics. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing. And, and could you tell our listeners a little bit more about um, that concept about having a, a lobbyist in the room. I think you know part of what's fascinating um, about your association is that its founding story, um, as as it's written, is inspired by an op-ed that that you saw in the Washington Post, um, which you know spoke to crippling student debt that young people are are up against. Um, you know, an infrastructure that maybe not may not be fit for a future of young people, and you know, huge costs of entitlement programs um, that you know 
young people would inherit, um, to which you you felt and said that the reason that you needed to find or found, sorry, AYA um, was that if a lobbyist could walk in a room supported by millions of young people, um, then that would change the game. For those of us that aren't completely familiar with how that lobbying process works, why 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 are young people having a lobbyist going going to change that? And how has AYA tried to actually infuse resources to accomplish that goal from when you fo- founded AYA yeah. a few years ago? Yeah. So so lobbying, first of all, has has um, become a bit of a dirty word, um, and I, I believe that it's not because of what lobbying is; it's because of who has historically been doing the lobbying and 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 you know on what issues. Um, and so part of our role is actually, I think, to educate people on the power of lobbying and its its um, its functionality and use. Um, so I think when a lot of people, especially young people, think of lobbying, they think of a couple of guys, you know, having steak dinners and you know making shady deals. Um, but if you actually take a step back and and really think about what lobbying is and and why it exists in the first place. Lobbying is communicating with your legislator and telling them what you want, um, which is, you know, a, a fundamental necessity in a functioning democracy, right? We have to be able to tell our legislators what we want. Um, but the truth of the matter is most people hire lobbyists, uh, you know, most companies hire lobbyists because they're focused on running a company. And so they hire a lobbyist to go to D.C. or a state capital uh, and they engage with legislators and, and keep legislators focused on their priorities um, and and try to push and educate legislators on issues that they care about. And, um, you know, in the last 10 or 20 years, lobbying has exploded as an industry. And, you know, we now actually see um, instances of, of lobbyists writing draft legislation and and a lot of work that used to be done in-house in office in staff offices now actually being outsourced to lobbyists. So all that to say is, um, uh, you know, lobbying is just telling your legislators what you want. And uh, if young people want their, their political agenda uh, to be, to be seen through, uh, we need to stay on top of legislators every single day. And and it's not reasonable uh, to expect every young person to call their senator or, um, or mayor every day. Um, and that's what lobbyists are for. That's what Association of Young Americans is for, is, is to keep legislators focused on the issues we care about um, while, you know, while young people finish school and take care of their families and um and work hard. And and part of what you 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 lay out there is a really interesting prospect of of this concept of what it means to lobby, what it means to to put young people's voice in the room and and to make sure that that folks have a seat at the table when it comes to brokering deals across a range of issues. Um arguably the there are a number of issues that impact uh, all Americans but that might have a a disproportionate or, or especially high yield impact on young Americans. Um, everything from uh, young parents butting up against uh, parental leave policies um, that they may feel is not 
are not robust enough uh, when it comes to taking time off when they're when they have a kid um, or even younger immigrant children who came into this country um, with their parents who may have entered illegally but um, you know were rooted here and therefore were uh, had citizenship here by being born here but that being challenged under immigration standards now under the current administration um, to even just if you are an entrepreneur if you are interested in technology the tax environment um, for a young person trying to um, create their own startup um, can also impact them and then of course uh, you know college debt which can you know rack up huge bills for a young person and, and and really tie them down for quite some time financially before they can grow and be financially independent all of these different areas and countless others that that I haven't mentioned um, can impact young people how does your association go about kind of picking and choosing or prioritizing um, what voices to add to the conversation here? And, and where do you find the most um, interesting areas of focus for AYA going into the 2019 legislative year? Yeah, so, you know, you're absolutely right. Every issue is a young person issue. Um, and the kind of founding story of AYA that you mentioned, that article, um, that op-ed, you know, was a laundry list of issues facing young people. And, and that author was also right. Every single issue is uh, a young person issue because we're the ones who are going to have to fix it uh, and figure it out. And that's really not hyperbolic. I mean, that is we're going to have to deal with it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's pretty simple. We listen directly to our members about the issues that they care about. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we focus on four core issues. Um, Student debt and higher education uh, as one, uh, criminal justice, climate change, and lastly, uh, what we call political equality, which is really a bucket term uh, that holds everything that has to do with accessing democracy. So gerrymandering, voting rights, money in politics type stuff. Um, And of those four issues, um, we, you know, lobbying is... uh, is um, as reactionary as it is um, offense. Um, and so, you know, this past March, uh, we actually hired our very first lobbyist, uh, amazing uh, young lobbyist in D.C. named Allie Bernstein. She focuses on higher education, um, and accessibility, and affordability. Um, and so within kind of just kind of taking that that fear, for example, within that, um, we listen to uh, what our members are saying, kind of what, what campaigns they are um, really taking hold of. And, um, and this year, um, uh, we saw a huge number um, of, of emails um, sent to legislators um, about the public service loan forgiveness program. And so we saw that that was a huge concern uh, for our members. It was on the shopping block um, in the within the, the Prosper Act, which is, you know, no more because the House has flipped. Um, but that was a huge concern for our members. And so um, kind of leveraging both the, the power and voice of our members and also uh, Ali on the ground in D.C. Um, this summer to talk to legislators about the importance of public service loan forgiveness to uh, to our members. Um, you know, she did a, a bunch of bunch of meetings on the on the Hill with staffers. Um, communicating that our members are really passionate about public service loan forgiveness and, and, and want to see it um, stick around. And and that that's a obviously loan forgiveness programs um, it, it 
are a huge emphasis for um, you know a number of lawmakers. I think most recently in the Obama administration, there were some reforms advanced uh, to try and make. Um, college debt a little easier to swallow, as well as um, some of the more recent um, conversations around access to college have focused or, or, or have stemmed from perhaps the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, including um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the, a freshman member of Congress from New York, uh, which has tried to advance you know, free college or community college uh, for younger people. H- how, how do you uh, approach a thinking around uh, higher education? Is it really trying to um, minimize debt over time? Or do you think that AYA would be interested in specific approaches um, that try and restructure the very way people even build a pipeline into college to begin with? Yeah, so I, I think when when you're thinking about higher education, um, both the affordability and accessibility of higher education it is now, and you know you can't forget the 44 million people who are already out of school um, or never finished and have you know have 1.4 trillion dollars in student loans, right? So these are two um, connected but but different, very very big problems. And for me, uh, an AYA the the problems are, are and issues are kind of across the board. Um, you know, starting with higher education itself, it is just insanely expensive. It's too expensive, and we have to make sure that uh, that people who go to school uh, a finish, um, especially when they're taking out loans. Um, that anyone who wants to go to school can go to school, but but also that not everyone needs to go to school. Um, and you can uh, there are there should be other options besides a four year higher education institution to get people ready for um, for for the workforce. Um, so anyone who wants to go to to college should be able to should be able to afford it. That being said, um, you know a, a large reason why college has become so expensive is because of disinvestment at the state level. So so we need to figure out how to make college itself uh, less expensive while also um, making sure that the quality is there, that people who leave are ready for, for jobs. Um, and then when you look at um, when you look at uh, the student debt crisis itself, the $1.4 trillion, um, that is a problem that is First of all, not just a young person problem. It affects millennials. It affects Gen Xers. It affects baby boomers. It, it actually is the student debt is the fastest growing type of debt for baby boomers because they're a trying to stay competitive in the workforce and going back to school and also signing on to loans for their kids and grandkids. Um, so this is a problem that is really you know affecting the economy across the board. It's not just an isolated student debt problem. It's an economic problem. Um, and so, you know, we have to figure out how how to help people pay back their loans, um, how to help people refinance their loans at, at a lower interest rate. There are there are uh, student loan borrowers who are, um, you know, who are paying 10 or 12 percent interest on their loans, which is absolutely insane. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, education department and student loan servicers that aren't necess- that aren't often aligned with the borrowers themselves. Um, you know, there are a lot of amazing repayment programs, but unfortunately, uh, far too few people know about them. So it's, I mean, the, 
the issues in higher education and affordability, accessibility, and, and student debt are are far and wide. I mean, we you know this could be a, a four hour podcast on on higher education. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that <laughs> I think that one way that you framed um, the the student loan challenge, and you know, there, there's a lot there, as you mentioned, that there's an evolving nature of of work and jobs, and and maybe the four year university um, or or the, the the higher education as we currently most associate that concept may not be the only path to to pipe into those jobs. Um, also, there's you know the, the sheer financial burden of engaging um, uh, in, in any one of those pathways, um, and there's just this broader question of how to make sure we do so in a way that is fair and not predatory in terms of those that do decide to go down a four-year university path um, don't get saddled with with debt that perhaps they did not see coming. Um, but for each of these matters. Um, it's interesting that you framed this as as both a challenge for young people, but perhaps at a macro level, this is an economic challenge for the country, which undoubtedly not only impacts our, our balance sheets and our deficit as a country, but also our competitiveness and our ability to, to continue to lead in terms of having the best Absolutely. and brightest in this nation. I'm curious, as you think about a message to this incoming Congress, um, and even maybe beyond Congress, from state house to state house and to Washington D.C., we've seen a record number of young people being sworn in, um, principally on the left uh, among the Democratic Party, but certainly a changing of the guard um, being experienced on the right with the Republican Party. Um, what is your message to them? And and I. And I ask that based off of your frame of this being an economic problem, not just a young person's problem, because it does seem like on the one hand, it is important for an organization like yours to address a young person's issue as a challenge for the whole nation, not just one segment of the population. And yet we're at a time where you have a segment of the population, young people, arguably representing public uh, uh the public in record numbers so do you plan on changing your, your your narrative or do you have a different type of message now that you kind of are able to see eye to eye with people that may have experienced these challenges themselves yeah we you know association of young americans is first and foremost an organization working on behalf of young people you know that being said the issues facing young people are often uh issues facing other people as well um so, you know, when we talk about student debt, you know, we, we can't talk about it in a vacuum. And when we look for uh, allies in doing our work, where, you know, there are a lot of amazing organizations um, that also uh, do work in the kind of young people engagement space, but there are other organizations that have, you know, nothing to do with um, uh, with young people historically. And, um, you know, we always say anyone who wants to solve the student debt crisis is a friend of ours. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we'll, we'll work with anyone, any organization, legislator um, of, you know, a- any background or age or, you know, it's, it's totally irrelevant. If you if you see this, these issues and you want to solve them, um, you know, we're here to work with you. And uh, to, to, you know, freshmen. Um, uh, Democrats and Republicans in the new Congress, you know, I, I would say uh, young people voted in record numbers, um, and I, I believe that they're going to continue to do so and continue to, to gain power, uh, not just in, in politics, but um, uh, in the country at large. Um, and it's important that that they continue to consider young people in their legislative priorities and not wait 
you know, two or six years to start talking to young people again. Um, it'll be too late by then. Uh, and I would also say that, you know, we want to work with you at, to build a better future. And I, I believe we can. Ben Brown is the founder and head of the Association of Young Americans, an advocacy group that represents the voices of 18 to 35-year-olds in everyday politics. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Ben specifically about how we train up individual entrepreneurs, community organizers, and would-be politicians for their roles of leadership in the future. Hello world, I'm George Manley, the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Solar. I have a background in broadcast journalism, I've traveled the world, and I love to write. But more than any of that, I love to have great conversations with interesting people, and I love to learn their stories. I am so thrilled to be working with really interesting people in the social commerce space as a result of this show. Solar is a place where brands and influencers create content to share with their consumer public. Each week, I'll be presenting a story from an interesting person in this space, and the goal is to learn something more about how this industry is evolving. The goal is to learn something more about the creatives behind the creator-influencer space, and the goal is to celebrate the community that is quickly forming on solar.com. I hope you'll enjoy this show. I hope you'll enjoy our conversations. I hope you'll give us feedback. And if your story is interesting enough, I hope you'll join us on another solar story, the art and business of influence. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. And you can find more episodes of Solar Stories and learn more about solar at solar.com. So Ben, I, I wanted to ask you, AYA clearly has uh, a set of, of principal focuses when it comes to policy agendas and legislative agendas. Uh, you, you know, you've met, you've mentioned college debt, for example. Um, you want to make sure that there are um, robust uh, ways in which young people have a voice in the room, uh, whether it's lobbying or advocacy. Um, but there's also sort of this notion that when we talk about young people occupying more and more positions of public trust um, or maybe even private sector power, um, there needs to be this pipeline of training up young people, mobilizing young people um, for these roles of tomorrow and doing that training today. Uh, you know, where whereas the young people's voice has been heralded most recently in our midterm elections in terms of turnout, as well as in terms of being sworn in in record numbers to public office, um, there is a question about how we continue to encourage young people to, to be interested in these roles when they see the divisive nature of politics play out. Out in real time, when they see sort of the vitriol um, oozing from members of Congress during the Kavanaugh hearings, for example, or maybe being turned off by the way public representatives seem to function when you see joint press conferences between Democrats and Republicans alike in this Oval Office. I I'm curious, how do you envision um, the, the need to invest in that pipeline of training up new leaders, making sure that they can still find public service a noble pursuit? And, and does AYA see itself playing a role in wanting to activate young people to get prepared for those roles of public trust? 
Yeah, so um, there were there were a bunch of questions in there. Um, I, it is extremely important to remember that uh, the extreme lack of respect in D.C. is relatively new, um, and it's extremely disliked by the majority uh, of America and, and young people. Um, we did a survey in the fall with AARP called the Three Generation Survey. We surveyed millennials, boomers, uh, and Gen Xers on, on all sorts of things, but you know, to try and kind of see uh, differences in, in how they view the world. And one really interesting uh, result of that survey was um, 86% of, of respondents said honesty in government is an important issue to the future of our country. Um, jobs in the economy was 84%, by the way. Um, and so uh, this, this lack of respect, the finger pointing, and the kind of total lack of will to really get anything done um, is, uh, is an old story and a, and a sad story. And I, I think when you look at um, kind of what young people are, are looking for, you know, they're, they're doers, right? I mean, it's, it's a world in which you can start a company um, with an idea and an internet connection. Um, and to, to see a political framework that is based on, on finger pointing and name calling, um, that isn't actually moving the needle on issues that young people are, are desperate to figure out, um, is I think what is inspiring a lot of people to, to run for office, to volunteer on campaigns, um, and even to, um, you know, even as CEOs of companies to, uh, to consider things beyond, um, you know, beyond, uh, beyond the bottom line. And, and what do you think is an, you know, given some of these shifts, given some of these, um, the, the preferences that, that your organization has to want to make sure that young people are at the table and are being trained up for those roles, um, this is sort of a broad question, maybe a tough one to pin down with one precise answer. But uh, from where you sit, as someone that goes to bat for the youth vote and the youth voice in America day in and day out, what does it mean to be a young person in America today? Yeah, so um, first of all, I think it's important to remember that um, – there are a lot of different kinds of young people, right? We are the most diverse generation in the history of America. Um, there are uh, millennials who are 20, who are 35, um, and obviously from all uh, walks of life. But for me to be uh, a young American means to believe in liberty and justice for all. Um, to believe in the opportunity of America and the problems that that we face are, are solvable if if we solve them. And and 
for in terms of that solvency, um, obviously any political observer uh, or, or advocate um, that has gone to bat for any issue, whether it's at their local uh, PTA um, or at the highest levels of public office uh, in, in Washington, D.C., um, anyone that follows that knows that this is inherently a long-term sport, that it takes coalition building, it, it, it takes you know building a new yeah. crop and generation of leaders. Um, knowing that it's multifaceted and it will t- and, and maybe even multi-generational and it will take some time to achieve some of the goals AYA is trying to achieve what does success look like from your perch atop this association uh it certainly it means advancing the voice of young people in on the issues that they care about um but does it mean fully resolving some of these challenges i.e. college debt um or is it much more yeah. about creating that connective tissue for the youth voice to always be checked the box on when any policy making is happening or being contemplated yeah so um it's a great question i'll say two things one the first is a lot of these issues um, aren't just going to be solved and then we'll never talk about student debt or higher education, right? These policies, these institutions, right, they're living, they're living beings. And so it's always just a matter of working to improve them, you know, to take all the data we have and, and make the change, you know, the best possible changes. And then, you know, 10 years down the line, do it again. Um so it's it's very dynamic and it it is definitely a, a long game. I I never thought that uh, you know I would start Association of Young Americans and you know a week later we'd have 30 million members. That would have been nice, but um, but uh, but but not yet. Um, and also you know I I think success for Association of Young Americans looks like uh, you know in the next five years we have hundreds of thousands of members. Maybe you know, maybe millions, um, and they those members are engaged and educated about the issues they care about. They know that Association of Young Americans is representing them in the halls of Congress and even in state legislators every single day, so that uh, they don't have to worry about uh, what their legislators are thinking about on a specific bill. And when when new legislation comes up. Uh, I success would be if a legislator thinks about a new piece of legislation and says, man, I wonder what Ben at AYA would think about this. Hmm. Yeah. That would mean that, you know, uh, our, you know, we have arrived really. That, that That's a great point. And I think any type of decision making calculus, whether, you know, you're in Sacramento, California, um, or in Albany, New York, or in Washington, D.C., for, for them to understand and do their due diligence uh, with any potential law of, you know, how much is this going to cost the state, who's going to be affected, um, making sure that the, the lens through which young people view these challenges um, is going to continue to be critically important. Um, and, and we admire your leadership to make sure that that voice remains a part of each of that calculus. I, I'm curious, you know, we, we've had the opportunity to talk about um, maybe from a more um, a, a bottom-up perspective of, of how you really connect the dots between um, what's really going to impact young people and how are we going to impact legislation. Um, you've designed an entire association and advocacy group uh, to mobilize that kind of action. Um, but I am curious how you're 
what your views are on to, sort of the the top down engagement, meaning that um, for for all of the, the the youth involvement that can be celebrated, um, there is still validity to the critique that a lot of people maybe don't necessarily feel that they have the voice or maybe don't feel that they want to even be a part of some of these conversations. Um, either they yeah. don't care or maybe, you know, having to deal with, you know, paying the bills, tending for the, to their families and their other, you know, core priorities are of more importance. What is your message to right. them as to why it's important to engage and get involved in some of the issues you're working on? Yeah, my, my message, you know, first of all, half of millennials uh, didn't vote in the last election. And so, you know, when you think about young people, you know, you know, we're talking about engaged young people, and and that's that really is only half of the you know half of the pie. To folks who um, who aren't engaged, or or you know, people who say I don't like politics, uh, first of all, I don't blame you. You know, you it's hard to blame people for not paying attention to um, to uh, an institution that has consistently not cared about what they have to say, uh, not care about the future, uh, and, and not care about their lives. Um, that being said, I, I, I actually am going to flip this on its head. I think lobbying uh, has the opportunity to show young people um, successes. You know, there are far too many stories of, of young people uh, voting, you know, for for candidates and, and ultimately, uh, you know, that, that candidate not, not winning and, um, and seeing decisions by legislators that, you know, are just totally ad adversely affect their lives, their livelihoods, um, and their families. Um, I think lobbying has the oper has the potential to show wins and to show the 50% of young people who aren't engaged that politics has the potential to solve issues that they care about, that they desperately need to be solved. Um, and I believe that, that once we can do that, once we can show our power and our ability to solve issues, then that other 50% will come into the fray. And they will see that a lot of the issues they care about are indeed political issues. And Ben, you've you've had um, uh, AYA has actually uh, spoken out about um, a new-ish frame of, of how we invest in infrastructure uh, in America, um, and it's new and, and sort of gotten some um, coverage and, and momentum, uh, given you know sort of the the momentum that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez has behind her, um, you know, recently being sworn into office around what's being framed as a Green New Deal, um, and that that young people will be um, at the forefront of experiencing the uh, debilitating effects of climate change, um, and that in order to not only create new jobs in America but create new energy solutions in America, uh, we're going to have to invest um, almost to the the extent and scale that the, the New Deal um, earlier uh, in the last uh, century uh, made made possible for for a new coalition of jobs and new new prospects of training to occur. Um, what's AYA's position on this, and and how can people get involved in your group's um, organizations around this if they want to learn more? Yeah, so I think the Green New Deal is really just the first example 
of looking at policy as a framework to solve long-term issues. Um, you know, when, when we were talking about kind of the earlier, the, the different parts of, uh, of political power, you know, one of the reasons I, um, I'm so excited by the new Congress um, is that, you know, you need people who are thinking not two years down the line when they're up for re-election. You need, you need people to think 20 and 30 and 40 years down the line. And I think the Green New Deal is within kind of the climate change um, and actually the you know, economic space is the first proposal we're, we're seeing that, that really thinks on that time frame, which is, which is the time frame that, that young people exist in. Um, and so in terms of the, the, new, the, the Green Deal specifically, um, we absolutely support it. Um, you know, young people are the ones who are going to be facing the most severe consequences of a changing climate. And, uh, and the Green New Deal is, is a long-term solution to a, a long-term issue. And, and for anyone that wants to learn more about the work that, that you're tackling um, and ways to just broadly get involved with the association, um, yeah, how, how can they go about doing that? Yeah. So you go to our website, joinaya.com, uh, learn more about the issues we're working on, sign up to be a member. Um, you know, we haven't talked about uh, the, the member benefits at all, um, but, you know, members get benefits on on lift rides, megabus rides, and a lot of other uh, uh, products and services that we know young people uh, know and love and need. Um, uh, but, you know, become part of our community. You know, every person who joins makes our organization stronger, but also makes our lobbyists more powerful every every single time she has a meeting with a legislator or, or a staffer. Well, well, it's very clear that um, a, an evolution in our national identity um, is being witnessed in real time where younger generations um, are, are the ones building the technologies in our pockets. They are the ones organizing our communities, um, and they are the ones speaking out about some of the, the most vexing challenges of our time. Um, and we admire and appreciate the leadership um, of, of you, Ben, as well as the Association of Young Americans to make sure um, that that voice and that changing of the guard um, is handled with care um, and attention to to the interests of a younger America. So thank you for joining American Enough, and thanks for doing what you're doing. Thank you, Vikram. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of this show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening.
This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.